Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. International News Review. Welcome back to our international news review here on Saturday mornings. Joining us now, Steve Oaken, senior advisor at McClarty Associates, and Dr. Ong Kian Ming, former Malaysian member of parliament. Great to have you both on today. Uh, good morning, Steve. Good morning, Kian Ming. Morning, guys. Good, mo- good morning from KL. Yes, and how is, uh, how is KL today, Steve? We're, we're missing you here in the studio. I'll be back next week, but uh, if I can't be in Singapore, I may as well be in KL. Yeah, and a bit of Elton John this week, Steve. What's the Elton John vibes about on the T-shirt? That was when I was in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. I got to go to his very last ever North American concert at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. And so right. I'm wearing the shirt I got at his last show ever. It was live streamed on, on Disney Plus, and he was amazing. And you and your family were dressed in some mighty uh, colorful costumes, as I recall from your social media posts. But anyway, let's move on. Um, Ken Ming, great to have you with us. Let's start off with you and uh, the new prime minister, Anwar Ibrahim has named 27, I believe, cabinet members. Uh, And give us kind of an overview. What does that team, what does that leadership uh, look like? Uh, Is any surprises in there? Does it look like he's doing the job that he was elected to do? Uh, I think it's a diverse cabinet, a cabinet that's uh, representative of the uh, diverse country that is Malaysia. You have uh, Malay reps uh, at many key positions, but you also have uh, Chinese, Indian, uh, East Malaysian representatives, uh, and I think it's a combination of uh, safe hands, uh, people who are experienced in running the country, and also some new faces uh, with new ideas. Uh, so uh, you have, of course, the uh, somewhat controversial AMNO uh, president, Zahid Hamidi, as the deputy prime minister, uh, but you also have uh, representatives from Sarawak who are there. Uh, and then also from my own party, you have a young a minister that's helming the sports and youth uh, ministry, Hannah Yeo. Uh, you know, the second time that a woman has been uh, helming this ministry. So I, I think it's a it's a good uh, mix of different uh, uh, experience hands and also new faces with new ideas. And yesterday, the prime minister also named 27 deputy ministers. That's equally mm. diverse as well, including some of my colleagues. Well, Dr. Ong, you said it right there. You said the word diverse many times. Four main coalitions make up the unity government now, and there is also support from smaller coalitions. So you've got a lot of interest there from all sides of the political spectrum. How is this going to play out? Mm. How will policy get done? Uh, I, I think, surprisingly, the points of agreement between the different coalitions uh, are actually quite, uh, quite a lot. Uh, there's uh, agreement on the need for greater decentralization to the state governments, including in Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, there's also a need, f- uh, there's a common agreement for a need for some institutional reform, including some strengthening parliament and strengthening some of our institutions. And this comes from uh, Barisan, AMNO, uh, Barisan National and AMNO as well, uh, that used to be uh, sort of like uh, uh, political rivals to my coalition. Uh, so there are some progressive ideas that will be put on the table, uh, and uh, I hope that the new cabinet under the leadership of Anwar Ibrahim, who is known uh, internationally as a progressive figure, would be able to execute 
uh, some of these uh, ideas and plans. We're talking with Dr. Ong Kian Ming, former Malaysian member of parliament, and also Steve Oaken, uh, senior advisor of McClarty Associates in our international news review. Steve, I want to get your comments in a moment on this, but first I'm going to give them to, uh, to Kian Ming. What does this look like for the business community? Is this uh, the way things have unfolded the past two weeks, is it a good news story for Malaysian business in general and the economy there? Or are there any, uh, are there any headwinds that might be uh, facing? Come in to you first and then to Steve. Yeah, I think uh, th- there are good news and there are also challenges. Uh, the good news is that, uh, you know, after one week of some political instability because of a hung parliament, uh, no one coalition having a majority of seats, at least uh, we have a prime minister now who has uh, managed to marshal enough support uh, to have about two-thirds support in parliament, uh, and that will be tested uh, in a vote of confidence that will be uh, put on the table on the 19th of December when a special parliamentary session is, uh, is uh, announced. At the same time, I think the business community is assuaged by the fact that uh, it is a diverse uh, cabinet, uh, not just a mono-ethnic cabinet, and with some familiar faces. So, for example, the former Minister of Finance uh, under the previous uh, two governments uh, is now the minister in charge of trade and industry, my former ministry. Uh, the minister of finance, of course, himself is uh, Anwar Ibrahim, who has been minister of finance before. So I think the economic trajectory of the country will be one that continue will continue to attract foreign investors and put the country on a good growth path for uh, the business community. And Steve, uh, over to you. What are you seeing now, uh, now that you're on the ground there? And what are you hearing from your clients? Well, I think one of the, the, the big questions is, can, can the new government, uh, you know, attack corruption? I mean, Malaysia has, has issues with corruption. There are stories of books and movies. Um, uh, and uh, it's gotten worse under the last government, under Transparency International. Uh, Malaysia now only ranks 62nd out of 180 countries um, that are ranked. It's dropped three spaces since 2020. And so the new government has has its hands full. But, and, and so that's one of the questions. Can they attack uh, corruption? And if they can, they are going to be extremely successful. I think the second issue to watch is how does Malaysia balance um, uh, U.S. Uh, and China tensions? That That's an issue for all countries in in Southeast Asia, um, it was noteworthy when when Anwar spoke um, on foreign policy. He, he talked about the importance of China, how it was an important neighbor, but he also said it was equally important to enhance ties with the U.S., the EU, India, and ASEAN. So, the second thing to watch, and the third thing that's not here yet, but certainly um, uh, you know could be a potential uh, impact for for foreign businesses, is is the rise in power of the Malaysian Islamic Party, the PAS. It, it won the most seats it ever had in parliament. They advocate an introduction of Sharia law, um, and, and that would impact business if they became a, a, a strong part of what came out of new laws and regulations. So there is certainly you know op, op, opportunity, optimism, but, but it's going to be tough, and there's certainly some, some headwinds to watch. Dr. Ong, that was the business standpoint. But from the political standpoint, maybe a philosophical question, I was fascinated by a story that came out yesterday that the so-called kingmakers, the six million new voters who could vote from 18 to 20, didn't have necessarily the impact that maybe pundits predicted. According to the Ilham Center, 
said that almost 90%, 90% were unaware of current political developments. And they got their political information either from family members or social media like TikTok. So this idea that you've got 6 million new voters, but they were politically unaware of what's going on in Malaysia right now. How concerned should we be about that and what can be done about it? Uh, I think it's good to take data points from uh, different sources. Uh, and uh, I, my own analysis of the election results, including in my own constituency, shows that firstly, the turnout rate among the younger voters, including uh, first-time voters uh, between the age of 18 to 21, was actually higher than those in the older age groups. Uh, so we don't know the reason for this. Uh, it could be because they wanted to show uh, the mark of the indelible ink on their finger to their friends and posted <laughs> on uh, Instagram and social media. But the, the fact of the matter is that they were engaged uh, somewhat uh, during the elections campaign. And secondly, there were distinct uh, voting uh, patterns uh, that were exhibited by the younger voters that were different from the older voters. So the notion that they got their advice uh, on how to vote from their parents may not necessarily be right. Uh, so yes, a number of them did actually vote uh, more for the uh, the the religious party uh, as well as the uh, Na- Malay Nationalist Party that is in opposition now. Uh, but I think uh, my own uh, coalition and party, uh, Pakatan Harapan, did uh, pretty well in the urban areas among the Malay voters as well, uh, including among the younger Malay voters. So I think it's important to have a nuance, more nuanced understanding on how these uh, younger voters are engaging with uh, political issues and politicians. Fascinating. Yeah. Kia Ming, uh, we're, we're going to let you go in just a moment, but a last question to you before we do. And, and that is, what does Anwar Ibrahim need to do now? What What's his next step? What's his next right or correct step uh, in the next week or two weeks to solidify his government, his ruling government with at least 27 new cabinet members? Uh, what, what does he need to do next to to make this a real uh, a win for him in, in coming days? I think he needs to show uh, the domestic as well as the foreign audience uh, that he has a strong support in parliament and that will be done on the 19th of December. After that, he needs to pass uh, the budget that was not passed uh, you know, uh, earlier this year because the parliament was dissolved. Uh, and then he needs to stabilize his cabinet and his, uh, his uh, key people in cabinet uh, in order to give them, uh, to, in order to empower them so that they can uh, move forward with the economic agenda of uh, dealing with uh, inflation, dealing with, uh, you know, lackadaisical economic growth that's projected in 2023, and then uh, setting a new direction for the country so that we can be uh, on the more stable path to growth in a stable mm. government for the next four to five years. Thanks, Kiam Ming. That is, uh, that is a big agenda that he's got to accomplish in a very short amount of time. Uh, thanks for being with us, Dr. Ong Kiang Ming, former Malaysian member of parliament. We will get back to you very soon and, and check up on any updates. But until then, have a good weekend. Yep, see you. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. All right, Steve, let's carry on with you, my friend. And Any final uh, quick comments you want to make on the Malaysia situation, uh, Steve, before we move on, or are you okay to move on? No, they, look, they have a great opportunity. They've got uh, – they're a member of the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership with China. They're a member of the CPTPP. They're negotiating with the U.S. now in the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. So they can really take advantage of this situation. And, and if they can get that stable government that uh, Kian Ming talked about for the next four or five years, um, address those core problems with corruption, there's a lot of upside here in Malaysia. So yeah. I would say tempered optimism. I was just going to add to that, Steve. We, we had – who do we have on last week? Was it Angela? Was it Angela last week or Tricia? Angela. Angela, that's yeah. right. And just talking to Angela and generally, there seems to be real optimism 
arguably for the first time in years amongst the business community. Would that be fair? Uh, tempered optimism. I mean, it, look, it, it, this, this country has a lot of issues. Corruption at the top of the mm. list, right? Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, there, you, you're going to go in with your eyes open, but you, there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel here, and it's not an oncoming train for the, for the first time in a while. Yeah. Steve, let's move on to Indonesia and uh, a, an overhaul of its criminal code uh, just in the last couple of weeks. That is uh, a law that will outlaw cohabitation and sex outside of marriage. And now it is filtering down, of course, causing a lot of a lot of waves across the country in a lot of different ways. Uh, some uh, some people are very much in favor of it and, uh, and others are not. Uh, it would take place in about three years or take effect in about three years time. But now the tourism industry is concerned that people will be checked uh, for their marital status if they're checking into a hotel in Bali or elsewhere. Uh, get us up to date on, on just how, how much this has rocked that country internally and externally. Well, look, Indonesia scored an own goal, to put it in, in Neil's terms, right, <laughs> when it came to this, this new law that, that just passed. I mean, this law, it's, it's a threat to privacy, it's a threat to the press. It's, it's an overall threat to human rights, as, as the U.N. said. Maybe we're talking about would be illegal in Indonesia because it's an insult to the if, if it's an offense to insult the president, the national flag or state institutions. So this was uh, is, is a real problem for a country that was going in, in the right direction. And so it it takes a, a religious uh, approach and, and criminalizes conduct that may be a sin. And now it becomes illegal. Um, so you have the morality police that are going to come into Indonesia now. So just just challenges across the board with, with this new mm. law that, that, that goes into effect uh, three years from now. And Steve, just to add to that, from a tourism standpoint, a business tourism standpoint, how do you even enforce it the, on, on, a, on a practical logistical level? You know, a young couple, international couple, Western couple, they go to an Indonesian island. Or an Indonesian couple. Or, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Singaporean yeah. couple. How do you even enforce this on a day-to-day hotel level? Well, so, so the law bans sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the way it would get enforced is that you have to have a a complaint from a a parent or a, or a wow. child or a relative come to the police. So that is that is how the law would work. So it is going to be an issue if you have uh, you know if you have a a foreigner and an Indonesian is are sharing a, a hotel room in Bali and the parent of that of the Indonesian files a complaint. Yes, you could go to jail. Um, if for that. So there is a lot of concern. So while the, the, the Balinese hotel officials are coming out saying, well, we're not going to check to see that you have a marriage certificate before we rent you a room, it's, it's going to have a chilling effect. There, there's no question about it. The, uh, the newspapers in Australia has, have labeled this legislation the, the Bali bunk ban. Because it applies to Indonesians and foreigners when you are going to be in Bali. Well, of course it does. I mean, Bali's a second home for <laughs> yeah. most Australians. That's the go-to place for your stag parties, your hen parties, yeah. your football parties from Australia. So the, I can see why it would kick up a stink there. The tourism minister did come out. The Indonesian tourism minister came out this week and clarified. He said this would not 
this would not apply to foreign visitors. People and hotels will not be checking marriage licenses or whatever when people check in. But this is from the government. Now, look, the, the, the rule, no, it's not from the government. The, the rule's got to come out three years from now. So what, let's see. But right now, as, as it is commonly understood, if a tourist visits Bali, has consensual sex with an Indonesian national, it's reported to the police by the Indonesian's parent or child, that tourist could be arrested. So that is what the law says today. Now, again, it's three years. Let's see what the implementing regulations say. So, yeah, the hotel operator may not be checking you at, uh, to, to see a marriage certificate when, when you're going and showing your passport to get your room key. But that doesn't mean you, you're still you're clear. So, no, this is a real issue. It's, it's, it's an issue for, for tourism, but it's an mm. issue for for foreign businesses? Are you going to send your employees there? So certainly in, in you know, a lot of concern on in the LGBTQ community, um, because if you are, you're not married, you're in, in Indonesia, what happens to you there? A lot of Indonesians don't have marriage licenses because they're from indigenous communities or they're same-sex couples. They are violating the law as it's, as it's written right now. So Again, it's just it's a it, it, it's an own goal. Indonesia was so on the right track. Jokowi was was viewed as a growing global diplomat with the work he's been doing with the U.S., China, um, Ukraine, Russia, hosting the G20, and then to come out with this law is just um, just devastating. And the, the U.S. ambassador's spoken out on it. The U the UN has spoken on it. The AmCham in Indonesia has spoken out against this. So it, it, this is just the beginning of, of the, the pushback. I, I genuinely can't see, as you mentioned, it applies to foreigners rather than locals. Is that correct? It, it applies this, to locals. It applies to everyone. But this tourism minister said that it would not apply to foreign nationals. Which, on that point, Steve, But again, Steve, to your point, it's three years hence, so we got to see what... Yeah, it's three years yeah. hence, and, and yeah. then you're going to have all kinds of racial profiling elements involved. So yeah. someone who is from Malay descent but is Australian, yeah. how does that even work? Yeah. You know, they look like a so-called Indonesian, but they happen to be Australian citizens. Yeah. Are you going to ask to see their passport? I can't even see, one, how this is enforceable at any level. And secondly, so to that point, Steve, br- uh, briefly, do you see a U-turn on this? I mean, three years hence... You've got so many bodies, local and international, the, the tourism board. Do you see a U-turn, a U-turn coming on this? Well, I mean, it, they, they tried to pass this law in 2019. It was met with huge protests in Indonesia, so it was pulled back. Then, you know, somewhat off the radar screen, they amended a bit from the provisions that were in 2019, but, but not the, 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 the criminal conduct when it comes to, to sexual relations outside of marriage and being applicable to everyone. And then it passes. So there is a, a strong movement towards, towards religion and government in, in Indonesia. You saw it in Malaysia, although in Malaysia it's a minority party right now, and in Indonesia it's not. Um, and when you overlay this, Neil, with the, with the corruption that occurs in Indonesia, Indonesia is ranked 96th out of 180. So it's in the bottom half of the world in terms of corruption. Are people going to use this law against others for either corrupt reasons, um, they don't like the person and they want to get their job, um, they don't like this person because they're, uh, they're dating their daughter and they want to end the marriage. There's so much room for abuse yeah. in this law. And in a system like Indonesia, it is going to cause certainly second and third looks from 
from tourists and from foreign businesses about how are you are you going to go there or are you just going to go to Phuket or are you going to go you're going to go somewhere Absolutely. else um, for your holiday. All right, and Steve, to wrap it up briefly, you happen to be in KL, which is a massive World Cup supporting city. You've been to London, you've been to the US, so you've been to all these World Cup destinations. What's World Cup mania been like for you on the road? Well, so I was in, in London, um, and it happened to be the, the, the evening, and it's like 8 o'clock at night in London, where you know they have all the group stage games get played together. So the U.S. and Iran were playing at the exact same time that, that England was playing Wales. So I was there with, with my American friend, and there was literally one bar in all of London that was showing the U.S.-Iran game. <laughs> every other bar, every TV and every other bar was, 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 was the, the three lines. And we could not get into the one bar called Maple Leaf, the North American bar. The line was out the door. And then we're trying to watch the screen through the window and the bouncers are like, no, you can't do that. Good. It's so, and so pathetic. I didn't it's so sad. One, in the entire city of London, Hey, Steve, cultural imperialism, my friend, cultural imperialism. That's one bar too many, as far as I'm concerned. You're in London, watch England. Oh, I thought you you meant the imperialism was on the London side. No, 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 no. Enough (laughs) Americana. Enough Americana. (laughs) All right, Steve, good stuff. I could not watch, I couldn't watch US-Iran, which ended up being, of course, such an amazing game. Um, and, and the U.S. got to where everybody expected. Ranked 16th in the world, got to the 16th. Now people are going to expect more next year, especially with the host, uh, the host year. But uh, so, so, Neil, I don't know. You seem pretty pessimistic on, on your team. I am. France all the way. Vive la France. <laughs> all right, Steve, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for uh, joining us today from KL. Thanks for also uh, inviting Kian Ming to come on. Appreciate you doing that uh, with him today. Great to see you. We'll see you back see in the studio you. next week. See you in the studio next week. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.